0: Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio this week Norman Solomon, who is co-founder and coordinator of RootsAction.org, as well as founder and director of the Institute for Public Accuracy. He is the author of a dozen books, including War Made Easy and made love got war he has written op-ed pieces for almost every large daily u.s. newspaper and appears often on a wide range of radio and tv outlets norman solomon welcome back to talk nation radio hey thanks david Thanks uh, for coming on and for everything you're doing at Roots Action and otherwise. Um, I have been doing a lot more shows this time around about the U.S. presidential election because uh, this time around I see one of the candidates, Bernie Sanders, as being sufficiently less evil, if not actually good, Uh f- to to go with the lesser evil calculation that I think many people, including you, go with every time. Do do you see this election as as different from other ones?
1: I think it's unusually strong in terms of a choice, and uh, usually we're just uh, choosing between gradations of what we wish wasn't there uh, in terms of policies, uh, militarism, and alliances with. Uh, Wall Street and corporate America generally, and all that comes with those vices. This time, I feel much more strongly about one candidate. It's not only stopping um, the usual flood of so-called moderate or right-wing candidates who, to some degree, simply um, perpetuate or worsen the status quo, but Bernie Sanders and the movements that he now represents, I think are just extraordinary in our lifetimes in terms of reaching this capacity to possibly um, become president or at least change the discourse and the politics. Uh, And so uh, Medicare for All being an example, a so-called fringe idea that's now uh, been put front and center in the politics, Four years ago, when Bernie ran for president, and I should mention that I was an elected Bernie Sanders delegate to the 2016 National Convention, when people would say the Bernie Sanders movement, I was uncomfortable with it because I didn't really feel it was a movement. I thought it was a political campaign that had a lot of virtues. I was very supportive of Sanders. But, you know, movements are 24-7, 365, they don't start and stop. They have so many different um, elements. They come from the grassroots. This time in 2020, I think there's a lot more basis to say a Sanders movement. As the campaign motto says, not me, us. It's not about Bernie's movement. But it is a movement or constellations of grassroots and nationwide efforts and movements to bring about basic, progressive, humane social change. So this is a year like none other.
0: When you say so-called fringe idea of Medicare for all, you're talking more or less, correct, about the sort of health coverage system that most wealthy nations on earth have had for many years. Uh, And I think a similar comparison could be made with making college and preschool part of public education uh, and with uh, better environmental policies. And many of Bernie's ideas that are considered radical uh, actually have a longer history of success in more places than uh, current U.S. policies. It's it's almost a question of the U.S. catching up with the rest of the world, which may be something that nobody really wants to think about or talk about very much. Is that is that part of the problem in communicating uh, the, the, the reasonableness of what Bernie's proposing?
1: I think the uh, array of proposals is really about a humane society that puts... Uh, human life and well-being and uh, social uh, health above uh, profits and um, concentration of power in a few hands. And the fact that uh, the corporate mass media, and I certainly include NPR and PBS in that, the fact that these routine drumbeat media outlets portray... concepts like Medicare for All as somehow outside the bounds of reasonable or possible discourse really tells us a lot about how estranged the public mass media and political world uh, have become from just basic human decency. And at the same time, there is this global context where neoliberalism or whatever you want to call it, the concentration of wealth and power and, and corporate leverage has been assaulting people from uh, France to uh, Norway to so many countries that were, whether you call them socialist or social democracy, um, had a relatively high level of decency compared to the United States. So we're all under assault, and uh, the United States is um, farther along or farther back, depending on you look at it, of just degradation of human experience due to anti-democratic realities as a daily basis. And I think that's really, David, when I think about it, there's so much of this that teeters on the edge of um, autocracy. We have so much that is essentially oligarchy already in the United States. Uh, We have elements of democracy. We have strong elements of oligarchy. And this, I think, is all concentrated in or focused into the Bernie Sanders campaign, and he's just saying in a sort of emperor-has-no-clothes way what no so-called other major presidential candidate has said that that I can remember. Uh, And so here we are, and, um, you know, the battle rages.
0: What, what do you make, Norman Solomon, of Bernie Sanders and his campaign and his movement uh, and the question of foreign policy, where he seems to me to have improved and to be dramatically superior to some of the other candidates and every single past U.S. president, but still seems the, the weakest uh, link in the platform. And we've had whole debates uh, on TV without foreign policy mentioned. We've had the whole string of debates without about, you know, the military budget questioned. Uh, where where does this fit into this this Bernie movement?
1: I think it corresponds to the relative weakness of uh, uh, peace and anti-war and uh, progressive foreign policy uh, grassroots movement in general in the United States. I, I see a parallel to four and five years ago. Uh, Bernie Sanders wasn't addressing say the uh, the prison industrial complex and institutional racism very much. And he was confronted by it at a time when there was a, uh, an upsurge in strength of uh, what we used to call civil rights movement, now uh, Black Lives Matter and so forth. And he was confronted by people who quite correctly said, where's your program? Why so silent? Why not stronger and focused on these crucial issues affecting millions of people. And unlike other people who were similarly confronted, such as Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders actually listened, and he changed. He changed the way his campaign was staffed, and he changed the positions he took and what he said, to the point that he has gotten so much support now from younger African Americans, from Latinos, and he uh, has... Vastly improved in terms of addressing so many different aspects of institutionalized racism. Um, in a parallel way, uh, four, five years ago, and when he first began to run for president, uh, Bernie was fairly silent on foreign policy, and some of what he said was just egregious. I remember um, you and I at RootsAction.org and some of the writing I was doing. Um, we addressed that. I remember writing about, and I was allowed one time on MSNBC in 2015, talking about Bernie Sanders just not connecting the evils of corporate power that he did so well in a domestic context with how domestic and foreign policies are tied in, both of them, with the military-industrial complex and corporate power. And you can't find a more clear expression of and and horrible aspects of corporate power, then the U.S. warfare state, continual war, the military-industrial complex, and through the time of the last few years, to a significant degree, Bernie Sanders has improved on foreign policy to the point that he does talk about the military-industrial complex, using that term and that concept, and really has has gotten way ahead of all the other people who ran for the Democratic presidential nomination for 2020. So I think he's, he's greatly improved. I, I still have some disagreements with him. I wish he would address uh, the the horrors of the nuclear arms race more. I think that he could be affirming the need for what used to be called detente with Russia under Lyndon Johnson, who was no peacenik, but uh, there was the spirit of Glassboro and the whole way in which symmetry with Uh, Then the Soviet Union's leaders at at Glassboro in 1967 was lauded and uh, seen as a way to reduce the uh, the potentially catastrophic tensions between Moscow and Washington. Uh, But that said, Bernie is just far and away the best on foreign policy of all who he has uh, run against uh, for the nomination uh, that will be conferred in a few months. So just to, to sort of sum up. I think the grassroots pressure and the reasonable calls for change have made a difference uh, for Bernie Sanders' foreign policies. But if we had a stronger peace movement in the United States, I think he would be farther along. And also, the media discourse generally would be much better in terms of war, peace, and foreign policy.
0: Uh, very well said. Couldn't agree more. We're speaking with Norman Solomon, co-founder and coordinator of RootsAction.org, among many other things. I, I do think Bernie could also uh, reject uh, unfounded claims of, of Russiagate rather than sometimes joining in them. Uh, it, but it does seem that it, he is the best of the best in the U.S. government system, in the U.S. House and Senate uh, at present. Uh, he's he's the best candidate you could pick out and want to give a nomination to. And it seems also that he's in a race with the worst of the worst. If you had to pick uh, from either party a senator or congress member who had been part of uh, the most horrible policies and decisions and been a leader for the worst catastrophes uh, in recent years and uh, perhaps the weakest speaker and candidate uh, possible, you would go for Joe Biden. Uh, and he's the one paired up against Bernie Sanders in, in the primary right now.
1: Yes, if you were to uh, look at the records of these various uh, candidates who've run for the Democratic nomination, it's hard to distinguish between, really substantively, uh, their policies. But in terms of presentation, uh, Biden's got to be the worst, uh, just in terms of uh, coherence. I mean, even to the extent you could make a basically a deeply flawed and dangerous policy coherent. He can't even really do that. And, uh, of course, at RootsAction.org, we have been uh, making that point with documentation for well over a year. People who want to look at the specifics can go on the web to org. That's BidenFactSquad.org. And, David, I was just thinking about this today, that we've got Biden who seems to be... Um, the odds-on favorite to the extent we care about the odds makers to to win the nomination at this stage. I certainly hope uh, Bernie Sanders can overtake him. I think we ought to do everything we can to make that happen. And there's been this cavalcade of endorsers of former opponents, and I think that says a lot. Uh, When you look at Pete Buttigieg and you look at Beto O'Rourke, Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, have rushed uh, with varying speeds to endorse Biden. And frankly, it's, it's sickening uh, because they are running with who they feel is a winner. They, none of this is a surprise because all of them are corporate candidates through and through. And uh, they, in the case of Buttigieg and O'Rourke, don't have a job and no doubt would like to be in the cabinet or so and so forth. And as for the people who do have a job in the Senate, Klobuchar, Booker, Harris, they are clearly looking at their political careers. Uh, In addition to the fact that that Biden, with his his, uh, um, corporate uh, servitude and his uh, implicit and ongoing militarism, is really in sync with them. And uh, then, of course, we have, uh, so to speak, in a separate category, Elizabeth Warren, who seemed to me uh, a few months ago to be really doing a progressive journey in the campaign and uh, was at times a a tag team match with um, a tag team um, uh, ally with Bernie Sanders in the debates in terms of Medicare for All, for instance. And it was though there was a tag team, and then one of the two people in the tag team just faded away. And as we speak, uh, she can't even bring herself, having uh, dropped out of the race, to endorse Bernie Sanders, which I I just find appalling. And so I think it it speaks to uh, how unfortunately rare in the upper reaches of uh, U.S. politics, when people are in the Senate, when they're a presidential contender, how rare it is for somebody to have um, progressive principles and to stick to them. And that, again, is what makes Bernie Sanders, you might say, uh, conspicuous, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, he's unusual and all the more reason uh, to support him.
0: People have been uh, publishing uh, reports slash speculations on uh, a possible cabinet uh, for a a Biden administration, uh, which I, I consider highly unlikely to ever exist, uh, that includes all the CEOs of all the worst predatory banks and financial institutions. Uh, and, and people are, are exclaiming, why in the world would Elizabeth Warren not be endorsing the other guy at this point? Uh, and the obvious answer to my mind is that she herself is in that list with all of these, you know, as as somebody being considered for for the cabinet uh, by Biden. Uh, is that what she's holding out for?
1: Well, it's, it's hard to know. There's also some fairly informed speculation that she is looking to run uh, for president in four years. She certainly uh, would be able to do that if she wanted to, unless there's a Democratic incumbent. And I think it's telling that even reliably reported, she's considering that, which would imply she's expecting Trump uh, quite likely to have a second term, which, you know, I totally uh, think would be horrific and uh, should be prevented. Uh, Anything anybody can do to prevent it nonviolently and legally is necessary. Comcast was the host, essentially, for the Biden announcement last year that he is running for president. Uh, high executive of uh, uh, Comcast, which is, by one survey, the most hated corporation in America, anti-union, anti-consumer, anti-environmental. And uh, there we had uh, this high official of Comcast, who Biden chose uh, to uh, be co-host for his kickoff on the day he announced formally he was running for president. That tells you a lot. And it also tells you a lot that Comcast owns MSNBC, and MSNBC has been a um, a poisonous nest of hostility to Bernie Sanders for years. And uh, it is not as though it's Fox News and people say, who watch, oh, well, you know, I am on the right, or I'm watching a right-wing network. No, this is more insidious. Uh, This is like All Things Considered or Morning Edition on NPR or the PBS NewsHour. MSNBC has been trusted by a lot of people who consider themselves to be liberal or progressive. And I've got to give credit to the Media Watch group FAIR at FAIR.org, among other groups, and there have been many journalists the last few months laboring to disabuse people of the illusion that when they're watching MSNBC, when they're watching Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes and so forth, that somehow they're watching this font of, liberal commitment and progressive orientation. No, they are watching a network run by Comcast, and they're watching part of corporate America telling them how bad Bernie Sanders is. And that is symptomatic of the media terrain that we've seen.
0: Do you think that people, uh, by and large, in the United States, uh, have managed to stay aware by <laughs> by living through it, or become aware after the fact, not only that Biden is against uh, Medicare for All and Green New Deal and and college uh, education and so forth, but also his role in in so many racist policies and the war in Iraq and mass incarceration and corporate policies on on credit cards and bankruptcy and and home loans and and uh, and his corporate uh, support for nafta and every corporate trade agreement uh, do people do people know how bad joe biden is and is is there any chance of anyone telling them
1: as a routine in media and politics generally i think it's an uphill climb to get information out into the open when the mass media just routinely are distracting away from really salient key facts. Some of it gets out in dribs and drabs, but like I say about, like, McDonald's commercials, uh, we probably have only, uh, we've seen more than one in our lifetimes. We've probably seen god-awful many, because the essence of propaganda is repetition. And so much about Joe Biden has nothing to do with any of that that you mentioned. It's uh, more laudatory, or it's stylistic rather than substantive. There's a critique of how he talks. Well, There is a record there, and there's been a tremendous amount published uh, about uh, Joe Biden in the last year that really informs people. It uh, had a significant percolating effect, I believe. And at times, say, the New York Times or Washington Post have published one or another article about his alliance with people like Strom Thurmond and uh, James Eastland's racist, Dixiecrat, segregationist senators, and when... Joe Biden uh, worked hard to prevent uh, busting for uh, school racial integration in the 70s. He was aligned with them. 1990s, he spearheaded the essentially racist mass incarceration crime bill of 1994. As you mentioned, the credit card. He's Mr. Credit Card. A lot of people who are uh, in debt now, they can thank, in part, Joe Biden, people who can't get a decent deal if they need to declare bankruptcy, thanks to Joe Biden. They've been excellent um articles by Andrew Coburn in um, Harper's Magazine a year ago, February 2019. Uh, it was headlined, No Joe. He spells that out. The nation has done some very strong uh, repertorial work that way as well about what's called, quote, the Delaware Way, which is sort of legal graft that he's been part of. And so he stayed just inside the line of illegality, uh, but he's uh, been able to flourish as a result, and the mass media largely don't cover it. Uh, Likewise, you know, there's been a very good documentary released recently um, that was uh, done by Mark Weisbrot, who directed it, about uh, Biden's direct culpability, uh, no Democratic senator more than him, in dragging the U.S. into the war on Iraq with the invasion in 2003. So this is an ongoing battle, and ultimately, I believe the biggest problem is the corporate mass media, even much more than the Democratic National Committee. Bernie Sanders is up against a propagandistic wall called news media, and we've got to uh, create uh, different information flows, different media capacities of which this program is part. We've got to build stronger and stronger media alternatives uh, to overcome what is constantly coming at us uh, from corporate America.
0: And I know that people can find some of the videos and articles you're mentioning at RootsAction.org. Uh, Norman, it would seem to me that if there were any standards in the world, CNN would by now be disqualified from hosting a debate, but I think is planning uh, to host another debate. Uh, and I, I read somewhere that the plan was to uh, to let them sit down, the candidates, don't make them stand up, it might be too hard for Joe Biden, and and, and to have uh, audience members question them rather rather than moderators. Uh, it seems to me an ill-intentioned thing that could turn out well, because I've never seen any hand-picked audience members ask questions as bad uh, as what the moderators tend to ask. What do you what do you expect?
1: Well, it all depends, of course, on how the questions are filtered and so forth. And unfortunately, a lot of people who show up at debates, uh, they depending on their selection process, may be tuned in with the mass media messaging or not. But in any event, as you refer to, I believe it's, uh, I think it's uh, March 15th, CNN again hosting a debate. Now just two candidates, and I really wish that there wasn't all this uh, sort of intermediary uh, input and different voices, cacophony of voices, That are thrown into these debates where often we're we're dealing with the the biases of the so-called moderators and so forth. I think if there was simply a debate where uh, Joe Biden and uh, Bernie Sanders could be heard, then uh, Joe Biden's, uh, not only his uh, weaknesses and his frailties and his um, inability often to make a clear sentence come out of his mouth, but just as the overall uh, weaknesses of his position would be much more um, apparent. Uh, and my, my uh, fear is that there'll be so much uh, static and uh, intermediaries and different voices sort of jumping in and out that that will, in effect, uh, run interference for Joe Biden. But we'll see.
0: What do, you, uh, what do you think are the possible outcomes? I know there's a long way to go here, uh, but this is uh, a process that could end up in a different sort of convention and a different sort of outcome uh, than we've seen in, in many years. We've got just a, a couple of minutes left. What are, what are the possibilities ahead?
1: A lot of the uh, circumference of what's possible, I think, will be the delegate total. Uh, and if Bernie Sanders could come into the convention with a majority, uh, it would be a very different convention than we've ever seen before. Right now, the main committees, uh, like the Rules Committee, uh, have been put in the hands, and the gavel has been put in the hands, of people like Barney Frank, who are virulently anti-progressive and very hostile to Bernie Sanders. And you know, having uh, been a delegate to the last convention, I frankly am a bit apprehensive. I think we need to put up a fight. We need to fight for principles. And uh, that will involve uh, some conflict, and I think that's going to be necessary.
0: I know there are people uh, tentatively making plans to to be in Milwaukee in July. Uh, people who won't be delegates uh, to try to uh, nonviolently uh, press for a better outcome. Uh, do you do you think uh, do you think that's a good idea? Do you think people should be planning on focusing on that on that convention once these uh, <laughs> once they're done focusing on the elections in their states? I think we'll
1: know more. Um... In a few weeks, as the delegate totals come in, and as you're referring to, the priority now is to get as many votes and many delegates for Bernie Sanders as possible. When the smoke clears in early June, we're really going to have to look at what can be done in Milwaukee, and the spirit of nonviolence uh, needs to prevail, and in that context, uh, we're going to have to be very direct about the issues involved and what's at stake for humanity.
0: Very good. Uh, We have been speaking with Norman Solomon. Again, he is co-founder and coordinator of RootsAction.org, as well as founder and director of the Institute for Public Accuracy. You can pick up his books, including War Made Easy and Made Love Got War. Uh, You can also check out BidenFactSquad.org and RootsAction.org. Norman Solomon, thanks again for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David.